like I've been working on this for a while, but I want to be able to, I want to be relaxed and I want to enjoy things. I want to enjoy my kids. I want to enjoy my work, my friends. And I think, unfortunately, this anxiety and depression has been a part of who I've been probably for my whole life. I just want to be free of it. That was Will, an award-winning independent video producer, sharing a thought that many people who live with mental illness have thought, when can I be free? When can I be done with living with this thing? But the truth is we can't, and so we settle, we learn to cope. Will learned that working for a big company didn't work for him, so he forged out on his own. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, Will shares some of the things that he's learned help him. He's found a therapist who acts as an advocate. He makes occasional, judicious use of medication, and he has a determination to live free of anxiety and depression. When we talk about living with mental illness, sometimes you hear something that changes your perspective. In this episode, Will and I talk about our experiences of travel. And in doing so, he leads me to an important insight that has changed the way I think about traveling on my own. The people you hear on Silent Superheroes are discussing their personal experience of living with mental illness. If you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a trained medical professional. My name's James Pratt, I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here today with Will. Will, nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's start with, tell us uh, who you are, what do you do, um, and what's the mental illness or illnesses that you manage? My name's Will. I live in Seattle, and at the moment I'm an independent filmmaker. So I make marketing videos and fun videos, fun stories. My mental illness, it's actually kind of weird to think of it as that. Um, it feels like a disease or something. And uh, so I suffer. I don't know if that's even the right word, but I, I have uh, depression and anxiety. So, you know, different moods, you know, mood swings at times and anxious in certain moments. And so it kind of comes in and out during my life, you know, during different phases. I think that sounds kind of clunky. But that's your experience. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is clunky. I mean, I've gone through my life, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm 43 years old right now. I'd say the first 34 years of my life, the word depression wasn't part of my vocabulary. Uh, I think I was able to do really well in school and athletics and in, in, at work. And for those first 35 years of my life and Looking back, I think one of the things I've noticed is that, uh, let's take work, for example. Some points, in the latter points of my career, I was managing a team and people, and there was a lot of stress working at a client site. I was a consultant, and just having a task to complete helped me get it done. Obviously, we all have stress that we, I don't know if endure is the right word, but we're all stressed at work at different phases. So just having having a deadline, having a team that depends on me has helped me get through any mental challenges that I've had. It seems like there was a, a kind of milestone around 
34, I think. So tell us more about that. What happened then? Uh, I was working as a consultant and managing a team, working on multiple projects. You know, one particular project uh, was really stressful. I remember being uh, taking a vacation with my family. We went to Hawaii and just realizing how relaxing it was to be away from work and on vacation. Uh, coming back from that trip, I decided that I was going to take a sabbatical. And really, sabbatical is just the friendly term for I'm quitting. Uh, but I called it a sabbatical. Sure. And it, it, what was interesting is when I told my peers, that uh, other managers at this company, that I was taking a sabbatical, everyone came back with, how can you afford that to just stop working and especially given a that you're making money right now and then also there are all these expenses and and my I kind of laughed at that because maybe not so openly to them but you know I don't have a, an extravagant lifestyle right. our cars are older I have a lot of money we have money saved mm -hmm. so I could go for quite a while without working yeah and I felt like my sanity was more important than continuing this job that was, right. was very stressful. How was that, how was that stress showing up at that time? You said you wanted to protect your sanity. On the job, it showed up as anxiety mm -hmm. um, and I want to do a good job for whoever, right? So for my customers, for my company, and I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well. And so if, if I felt like things weren't going well, I would just get, I'd get pretty, like, I, I don't know if I'd literally start shaking, but it's kind of... Um, manifest itself. How would it manifest itself? I mean, I, I wasn't sleeping very well and I had a lot of work to do, lots of different tasks that needed to mm -hmm. be accomplished. So a lot of multitasking, had a family, kids, just being able to do a good job mm -hmm. at work and at home was, was proving to be pretty difficult. In some ways, work takes over and becomes more of a priority, which looking back kind of sucks. What's the, what at that time you know, is the internal dialogue around anxiety. I mean, an example is I have a big deliverable to produce. You know, right now I'm making, from, from a film perspective, I have this cut that I want to deliver. I have hours of footage, lots of audio, lots of images, and try to put it together. Generally in film, when you do, the first cut is usually awful. I want my clients to be happy mm -hmm. so that Obviously, so they pay me, but probably more importantly, so that they enjoy and appreciate the final work product. And so there's a lot of pressure I put on myself to be perfect. So the second cut is generally better. Uh -huh. And when I send that off, I see all the things that I want to fix. And even if I get positive feedback from the client, I ruminate and think about, oh, I could have done better and or I should have spent more time on this mm -hmm. or I should have gotten it done sooner. So it's a lot of the internal dialogue is... I guess it's doubts, okay. doubting myself. It's kind of a, it's not fun. And, and I think one of the, the byproducts of that is it's hard to enjoy life. If right. you're spending, if I'm spending so much time worrying about mm -hmm. what other people think, yeah. because I want them to be yeah. happy with what I give yeah. them. I think a lot of people listening would say like, well, you know, I worry about stuff or if I've got a big project, you know, I get stressed about it. I have doubts about the quality of my work. For you, how is that anxiety different than kind of the, the general stress of work or, you know, or day to day? That's a great question. I think the difference is that maybe I identify myself as the work that I do. So if I don't do a good job, then I am 
I'm a bad person. Or if they're not happy, I'm a bad person. And what's kind of what I've learned as I've gone through therapy is Mm. that I think first off, one one way to think about it is like, who gives a shit what other people think? And that's actually very helpful a lot of times. And then the other is, what's the catastrophe? Do they really not like your work? So Mm -hmm. are you projecting your anxieties on them? Yeah. Uh, which fuels and makes it worse. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm able to step back and think about it rationally like that, it's obviously a lot easier. So that dialogue in your head is, you know, I'm a piece of crap because these people aren't going to like what I do. Yeah. So it's a very personal internal dialogue. It is. is. And I think why it's so difficult is that those feelings of doubt and bad self-worth are, they're sticky. You can't move on to the next thing. I mean, I don't know that I want to talk about my current client, but Mm. I mean, I had this feeling going into this meeting. I was worried. They're very happy with what we're doing. Turns out I need to go, and I've offered this, I'm going to go do some reshoots of mm-hmm. some of the scenes that we want. Like, everything's great. But going into the meeting, I think about what if they don't like it? And mm-hmm. I think the mind is is a complicated mechanism. Mm -hmm. And my goal in the next year or so is like, I've been working on this for a while, Mm -hmm. but I want to be able to, I want to be relaxed and I want to enjoy things. I want to enjoy my kids. I want to enjoy my work, Mm -hmm. my friends. And I think, unfortunately, this anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. has been a part of who I've been probably for my whole life. I just want to be free of it. It sounds like it's something that's persistent. Like it's almost always there. You know, what I heard was it robs the fun of things and the enjoyment. Yeah, you get stuck in kind of the down, the down cycle. You mentioned that you work with a therapist. So talk to us about your journey there and like how you went from, wow, I'm super stressed at work to I need to go talk to a therapist about this and what other things that you've done to help you figure this thing out and manage it. Uh, it took a long time for me to agree or decide to go to a therapist because it just feels, even this freaking interview with you, mm-hmm. it just feels so raw and vulnerable to, mm-hmm. to so other people can hear what you're thoughts are on this topic. It's very personal. It took me a long time to go. The treatment side was was two parts. One is getting some medicine, some prescription, mm-hmm. some medicine to help stabilize, stabilize. And then the other was the talk therapy component. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found that to be super helpful, the talk right. therapy component to kind of help me restructure how I conceive or how I conceptualize what I'm thinking. How did you, like, how did you pick a therapist? How did you find someone that that you wanted to work with? Yeah, that's tough. I I had a list of a couple therapists Mm -hmm. and I called them. I left messages for all of them. I I don't think they ever answer their phones, their office phones. I've had that experience (laughs) where like you call up and you're dying inside and like, call me. Like, I'm I'm kind of desperate here. Like, why aren't you calling me back? Yeah, I've had that. Actually, the, all those messages yeah. say, if you have an emergency, hang up and dial they 911. Do. <laughs> That's absolutely right. It's like, I don't think I'm there, but like, I want to talk to somebody who can like make me feel good. So yeah, I <laughs> definitely had that experience. Yeah. So only one of them had space and mm. she got back to me. I went in and it, she was, it was a really good match. Yeah. It was good to have someone independent to talk to who's not in my daily life, yeah. who is, I've talked to her about this, like she's my advocate and yeah. she's working with me. And so if there are other people in my life or I'm having challenges with, mm-hmm. she will advocate for me. So you've mentioned the words advocate about your or therapist. So talk to us about how she's an advocate for you as it relates to your work. 
In the past, if I've had people that I'm working with and there are challenges communicating or disagreements, her role is not to fix the situation. Her role is to help me in my experience with the situation. So either dealing with how I'm feeling about myself, self-doubt or anxiety, uh, or suggestions for communicating with mm -hmm. someone to, yeah. to get to a resolution. In the end, her priority is my sanity or my mental health. Yeah, yeah. Will's decision to leave the video production agency was both bold and counterintuitive. It was counterintuitive because, as his co-workers pointed out, what will you do for money? But for Will, this was about looking after himself, and he was fortunate enough that he could live without the regular paycheck. Working as an independent video producer means that all the demands on Will are his own. His anxiety and depression are no longer exacerbated by the needs of others. Will's found a therapist that he describes as an advocate, a partner to him in checking his thoughts. Therapy, I think, is an important part of managing any mental illness. But I wondered, what else does Will do? You said you've tried some medication to, to help with the anxiety. Um, what medications have you have you tried and what's been your experience of, of using medication? So in, in the beginning, when I was very anxious, when I was having kind of anxiety, I don't know if there are attacks, but just yeah. feeling very anxious, I took, I think it's called clonazepam. Okay. And it's kind of a scary drug because it... it deadens all of your senses mm. it like it's almost like it puts you to sleep yeah. and but you're still awake I, I think of my facial expressions just relax my face relaxing mm. and having no expression like it's almost like you're in slow motion mm. uh, and so it helps with the anxiety but you're you're in slow motion yeah yeah <laughs> so and actually i think that particular one is very addictive so you don't oh, want to be you don't want to be on yeah. that long term i would use it for kind of short-term mm. instances where i was feeling super anxious. So it sounds like something you can start and stop very easily because that's not true for all, uh, certainly for depression medications, you know, you often have to taper up and taper down. So it sounds like that you can just hit for a while and then and then leave. Correct. After the first couple months, half a year, uh, I don't use that prescription anymore. I don't need that. The other prescription I have is a, a generic version of Zoloft. I take that. I've been taking that for five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. I think it works. It's hard to tell if the prescription is working or not uh, because because you're still having hard times and good times and bad times. But I do know if you stop taking it suddenly, that really sucks. I went away for a weekend and I forgot to bring it, mm -hmm. bring the prescription. And by the third day, I was starting to feel a little shaky mm -hmm. And just, yeah, just feeling nervous or anxious. Mm -hmm. And so the lesson learned is obviously don't forget to bring it. <laughs> uh, but also uh, you can't quit cold turkey on, yeah. on these things. You need to taper down if you do taper down. Yeah, yeah. So I've had that experience. I was going to an event with somebody. And I had to give a, like a short speech. I had to introduce this person I was going with. As the day wore on, I, I started to feel really ill at ease and uncomfortable. And I thought, this is weird. Like, I'm used to standing on stage in front of people. Like, I actually like doing that. Why do I feel so weird? And it wasn't until I think as I got home or the next morning, I looked at like my little pill tray and I'm like, oh, I forgot to take my medication. And now I know like, if I have that feeling, it's like you've forgotten to take your meds. And I do, I, I forget extremely infrequently. But when I do, I, I see the difference immediately in my, 
you know, in my mood. Like in, if you forget that morning, yeah. that day you feel it? By the afternoon, wow. I start to feel a little bit, it's hard to describe, but, but ill at ease, just kind of uncomfortable, maybe out of my body or just disconnected from yeah. the world. Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you've, um, you've maybe, it's almost like you've had 10 cups of coffee. So you're kind of, everything's mo- yeah. Yeah, moving fast and I don't know, you just want to go yeah. take a nap or something. Yeah. So you said uh, generic uh, Zoloft. Is that for the anxiety, the depression, both? It's for both. Okay. Uh, I think. I think initially for, yeah, for both. You talked about we talked about anxiety, and you said at the start here that um, you experience both anxiety and depression. Let's talk about the depression side. What's your experience of that? You know, I, I don't. I guess I don't really know how to talk about it. What is what is depression? And I know there's a a score or like a little right. quiz you can take. Yeah. A scale, you take it, right. to kind of see where you are and some of the questions. I, I mean, I do, I fill it out occasionally to get snapshots. Right. And so your therapist from time to time kind of checks in to see, you know, on the scale, on the checklist, where are you right now? Yeah, obviously that fluctuates depending on what's what's happening for yeah. me. And a lot of the questions are around uh, mood and enjoyment of mm-hmm. things. Are you sleeping or eating patterns and things like that? Filling out that form is actually helpful in and of itself because then I realize what some of the areas are that I need to focus on. Mm-hmm. I'm not answering your question about the depression in general, but yeah. I think when I do go into a session and things are not great, I generally say to my therapist, I know the things I need to do to fix this. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it right now. And that comes up so often when I talk to people about depression. It's like, I know what's going on. I know what I need to do. I know that life is good, rationally speaking. I just, my brain won't let me believe it. Yeah. So I know I need to exercise. Yeah. I know I need to spend time with friends. I need to do some work. I need to, whatever it is, I need to not drink as much mm-hmm. alcohol. I, I know, but you're when you're in the moment, I almost want, I wish there was a pill that would take you right. out of that moment. Maybe it's like somebody slapping you in the face really right. hard. I think that's where there are people who cut. I asked my therapist about it in jest, and she said when they do it, it's a chemical change in yeah. your body. Yeah. And it allows people to change the subject and move yeah. on and be happy. I think for me, exercise and working out really hard yeah. is is helpful because it, mm-hmm. it hurts and you're really exerting yourself and you're you're focused on the pain yeah. and, and working out and then you feel good afterwards. Yeah. That's one of the when you're in that pain and your mind is I don't know if it's overloading or what's yeah. happening. I think we want to escape. And so suicidal thoughts are a way to think like, oh, if I were dead, then I wouldn't have these thoughts anymore. That sounds like a reasonable solution. <laughs> right. And obviously it's the dumbest solution. Yeah. And, and, but, but other ways of escape is kind of avoiding things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I, in the past, I would find myself, uh, watching, binge watching a Netflix series yeah, yeah. because then I'm not in my body. I'm watching this, this movie, the show, yeah. I'm the character in the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through whatever adventure they're having is my adventure. I think escape is a, a common, mm-hmm. for, at least for me, a, the thoughts of escaping in some way. Yeah. I've done a lot of travel for business actually. And, and I do find, now you mention it, that when I'm at the airport, 
and there's like nothing I have to deal with. Like I just shut off to all the, you know, TSA security madness and just, I can sit there at the gate and no one's going to talk to me and no one's going to want anything from me. I find that a super peaceful place, which is funny because the airport is super stressful for a lot of people. (laughs) But, you know, and then being able to be on the plane and hoping somebody doesn't talk to me and like I can go to a hotel room and I can just sit there and not do anything. You're right. I mean, I, now I think about it, I actually have those moments of, of escape and I've actually felt guilty about being happy to be away from my family at those times. It's, you should notice those instances when you have that and yeah. appreciate it, yeah. I, I think, cause, no. uh, um, and not feel guilty because you can't do anything about it. That's what's so great about doing this for me is I get to see myself in a different way. You know, we talked to somebody else who has bipolar depression and she gave it helped me realize the importance of stability for people who have bipolar. You know, regular routine, having to do certain things at certain times can be really helpful. That's been great. And now next time I travel and I'm feeling like, you know, wow, this actually feels okay to be on my own in a, in a hotel room. I'll think about it differently. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Good. I was thinking as you were talking about your work, there's a stereotype, there's a trope of creative people, like great artists being people who battle with, you know, inner demons. But I think if we cast those in a just so everybody knows uh will was making the van gogh ear cutting gesture um but i think if we were to go back you know if we were able to go back in time with the you know, diagnostic standards we have now you know i think somebody like that would probably be diagnosed with depression maybe bipolar disorder so there's this trope and this idea that depression creativity go hand in hand and somehow depression supports that creativity like you get access to something that other people don't have as somebody who works in a creative profession what's your perspective or experience of that I would never think, oh, thank goodness I have these mental challenges because it makes me creative. Like I would never think of it that way, but I tend to get excited about lots of ideas. And so I think maybe uh, creative people might be more distractible and excited, kind of instantly excited about ideas, or they'll be thinking about ideas all the time. And I I do, I think about things all the time. It's not actually debilitating in a way. Um, It can be for some to get work actually done. So I think that I'm an introvert. And if you ask other people, and I'll ask you, uh, outwardly, I seem like I'm very extroverted. And I talk to people, Mm -hmm. I say whatever's on my mind. And I think I do a good job compensating for being an introvert. I'm a shy person. And I think one of my social anxieties is, you know, I want people to like me. So I will say things that are, that seem crazy. And for me, a lot of those things are just being honest with what I see and, or I'll have a thought of something that might be inappropriate. I think the the fine line that I'm walking on is one, I want someone to like me, but also I want to have fun. I want to enjoy myself and yeah. be at peace. And so it's uh, this fine line of saying something inappropriate or mm-hmm. is it funny? And so I'm learning, you yeah. know, something, sometimes it works really well. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh shit, uh, you should not have said that. Um, it's part of, it, it almost feels like part of that approach to management like you you said social anxiety i know in certain situations that anxiety is going to flare up so you are starting to find ways to manage that like going into the situation knowing this thing might flare up and i'm going to be uncomfortable but you know i'm going to try and try and use humor yeah humor is my way to kind of help me feel like i'm in control in the situation but comfortable yeah i remember back to when i was in middle school high school very shy like i think i became or or I was trying to figure out what's going on. Why don't I talk to people or just how come I don't have a lot of friends? And 
uh, sarcasm and humor was something that I developed yeah. and I'm still working on it because yeah. again, sometimes I go too far and it's interesting to see my daughter has kind of picked up some of that uh-huh. and it's interesting to see a mini me scary actually yeah. uh, to see that. But I think that, yes, that was one way that I've kind of compensated or mm-hmm. tried to overcome social anxiety. Yeah. You'd make a good Brit. We use sarcasm and humor as a way of not having to like you know, interact directly with people. Oh, is it kind of passive aggressive? Uh, I don't know if it's passive aggressive, but like we have this tendency of everybody's always putting everybody else down. I think you'd call it like busting your chops, yeah. right? Just absolutely <laughs> constantly. And certainly when I, I remember when I moved to the US, you know, but you, you learn to be very sarcastic. And I would sometimes say something that was sarcastic and people wouldn't realize it was sarcastic. So maybe it's that thing that you're talking about, like you say something and it's, it's funny if you get the sarcasm, but if you don't, you sound like an asshole. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then the, your friends who witness that think you're an asshole and they're embarrassed. Yeah, I think I think you're, what you're talking about is the deadpan of... Perhaps. Of, yeah. of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I love doing that, by the way. Um, <laughs> we need to spend more time together. Yeah, evidently. <laughs> evidently. Uh, talked about social anxiety. You've mentioned anxiety around work. Does anxiety show up in any other places in your life? This is, I'd say, the opposite of being anxious. For me, I'm the most relaxed when I'm traveling. Right. And, you know, I took a trip with my my kids last summer Mm -hmm. to Italy, and it was great. There was not a set agenda, and, you know, I'm pretty flexible. It was nice to kind of go with the flow and figure out things, meet some new people. In fact, I've been back twice since Mm -hmm. then alone. And when you were talking about running away, like, like... I was thinking, oh, was I running away? Uh, and maybe I was, yeah. but I was I was working on some projects, and it's just nice to go with your whatever ideas you have at the moment. I don't know if this goes back to your the creative mind thing as well. well maybe, but it's interesting because for some people, travel is a super anxiety inducing activity. It's interesting for you. Travel is like is a relief. It's a you know something that you really enjoy. It's something about the home work environment, like the day-to-day life that creates anxiety for you. Yeah. It's kind of backwards. I mean it just is, right? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Talking about mental illness is hard. Sometimes we have so much shame attached to our thoughts that it's painful to bring them into the open. But I've found in talking about it, we feel less alone. And sometimes we learn new ways to cope, new ways to manage, even if that's seeing things through somebody else's eyes. In sharing with Will that sometimes I feel guilty when I'm traveling and I'm enjoying the time on my own, I got a new perspective. Will reminded me it's okay to look after myself and maybe I should think about that time alone differently. Looking after yourself means different things to different people. For Will, it means going to therapy or doing exercise. But it's also the freedom to travel with his kids. Able to be free of his anxiety, at least for a week or two. To take time where there are no demands put on him, like the demands put on him by the company that he worked for. It felt important to me to learn a little bit more about Will's work. What does it take to be a good video producer? I'd say the most important component is being able to tell a story and having a vision. So starting from that point and then getting the talent or location lined up. So you need to be organized. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I'd say creative, yeah. being able to tell a story and then obviously filming good shots or mm -hmm. recording good audio. But then once that's done, you need to edit things together, yeah. kind of like you're going to edit this podcast. Yeah. There's just a lot of components to it. I think in bigger production houses, they have different people doing each yeah. part. And so as an independent producer person, I do all of those pieces. Yeah, you need to know a lot. Yeah. Yeah, just being able to work independently, which yeah. is probably the hardest thing to do yeah. for someone who's got mental illness challenges. Yeah. Although I note that when you were first describing anxiety, it seemed to really become clear to you at a time when you were working with other people and you had other people who had needs and were depending on you. And so I'm almost wondering if the change to work on your own is actually a positive management tactic. Yeah, I think I think that's helped in a way. I do miss interacting with yeah. people sometimes. So mm -hmm. thanks for inviting me over for the podcast. No worries. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> we don't have to record the conversation, of course. Good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously working independently, there's more stress from a financial perspective, making money. But in a way, I think that's motivating too. So right. this is the first job that I've had where I'm working independently. So I don't have a place I go to work. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no structure. And you yeah. talked about having structure yeah. is important. Yeah. So for me. For you, yeah. I'd say for anyone with uh, mental illness mm -hmm. challenges, like it is difficult to not have structure. And so I need to be a self-starter. I need to get business. I need to work on projects. And so I think where it gets in the way is... Uh, actually, what, what's really helpful is having deadlines. Like I need to get something done right. by a certain date and I'll actually create the deadlines myself so mm -hmm. that I do it. From a, uh, a video producer perspective, if I were working at a company with someone else, I'd say it'd be much easier because I, I go to work, right. they set the schedule. And so now I need to set the schedule and do the work. Mm -hmm. So that makes it more challenging. Yeah. There's a, a theory of uh, optimum stress. Um, which applies to all organisms, you know, from the very, very simple sea slug through to, through to human beings. And the theory says that all organisms need some level of stress, right? They need some level of stress as a motivator to get them to do things that are ultimately good for them, you know, yeah. whatever it might be, you know, a sea slug. I don't know what's important to them, but, you know, for a human being to, you know, get out of bed or, you know, make money or go find food or whatever it might, um, whatever it might be. So, you know, I think what you're describing is that stress is helpful because it keeps you active and doing things yeah. and motivating. Absolutely. So when your depression comes to the fore, what does that mean for the work that you do? I haven't really thought of it like that directly when I'm in the dumps or whatever mm -hmm. it is, I tend to have a hard time sitting down and being productive. Mm. So like I'll sit down, start working and just think, ah, you know, this is no good. I can't focus on this. And then I'll go get a snack. Right. You know, I go to the fridge. The fridge is a big downfall for me. Mm. What I've done to handle that is I, I'll be, I'll work at a coffee shop where okay. I'm not in the house. I can't Go to the fridge. I can't yeah. watch Netflix, although I probably could. Um, <laughs> because I, and you could go to the counter and get a snack, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, but but there's a place cost five bucks. Exactly, yeah. I got to pay for it. Yeah, um, and I can't take a nap. Naps mm. are a really good avoidance mm. tactic. So I think in those moments, I look for ways to avoid and distract myself from it. So I think that is the biggest challenge. One of the things for avoiding things is obviously watching TV. Thank you, Netflix, for providing great material. Yeah, Amazon Prime too, but. Yeah. 
damn it, it sucks sometimes. And yeah. so, you know, and then I'll stay up late watching a series. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized is that sleep is so important. Just staying up late is, it's just not fun. Yeah. Uh, well, it's distracting, but it's, it screws up the next day. Right. So it kind of keeps that cycle going. I'm reading a book right now by an author called Dean Burnett called Idiot Brain. Uh, he's a neuroscientist, I believe well-respected neuroscientist. And in the intro to the book, he talks a lot about kind of interesting things about the brain. And one of the interesting things about the brain is we have no idea why we sleep, we have no idea what the actual purpose of sleep is. And there could be logical reasons like if you go back 10,000 years, animals aren't that active at night. And so you're shutting down the same time that, that they are, you know, through to, you know, ordering memory and encoding memories. And that's what happens during sleep. But what if everybody can agree on is it's necessary. Okay. <laughs> whatever, whatever is actually happening, we have no idea. It's, it's necessary to get sleep. One of the characteristics of, of bipolar, particularly type one bipolar, which is not the type I have, is a tendency not to sleep. You said, if I stay up late watching Netflix, it cascades into the next day. And that seems to have been a common pattern with people I've talked to where it's easy to get into a cycle of things that aren't helpful. You know, you stop sleeping because I'm watching Netflix and then the next day it makes it harder to focus on work. And if I don't focus on work, then the dialogue starts in my head and I have this deadline coming up and I'm anxious so I don't sleep. And then like it becomes a spirals, a spiral of, of unhelpful behaviors, thoughts, whatever it might be. I recently on Amazon Prime or Netflix watched the Twilight series. Okay. And I was in a way jealous of the vampires because uh -huh. they don't have to sleep. They never right. sleep. Yeah. And uh, obviously we can't do that. Yes, yeah. They also have to kill people, to be fair, to stay alive, <laughs> yeah. which I don't think is a, a benefit or necessarily an upside, but I don't know, they seem to get on with it. And I came up with that thought mm. as I was binge watching a series, right? So it was right. kind of the, oh, I wish I didn't have to sleep so that it wouldn't yeah. affect my next day. So yeah. I was hoping for an antidote. How do you think society views anxiety and depression? I think people see it as an excuse for poor performance. Mm -hmm. And I think my response to your question yeah. is probably guided by me projecting what other people would think. Yeah. Uh, Which you talked about earlier as kind of part of that anxiety, like projecting that other people think that this work isn't good. What would you want people to know about anxiety and depression? Don't do it. <laughs> I, I was reading a I saw something on Facebook or reading a quote somewhere, whoever this person was, was advocating or, or, or basically saying that every person is having some kind of yeah. struggle. So when you're interacting with someone, mm. pretend like they're having a struggle yeah. and there's something bigger going on in their life. So if their interaction with you is not the best from your perspective, yeah. know that something else is going yeah. on. So it's really to be kind yeah. to, to people and have empathy for whatever they might be going through. Yeah. That's, I think that's important. What was the original question? <laughs> question was, what would you say to somebody? And, I, and what I heard is, have, uh, be kind, have empathy. Yeah. Even if they're not showing signs of yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. What would make work easier for you as it relates to anxiety and depression? If you were working as a video producer in-house somewhere, perhaps, what would you need in terms of a support system in work to, to help you be a great video producer? I mean, just, just the other day, I was thinking, 
maybe I was feeling sorry for myself, but I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to deal with this shit, like this depression and mm-hmm. anxiety? And so that was the initial thought. And then I went on to, I want to fix this, right? Mm-hmm. And can I fix this? And how do I make it not be a problem? Yeah. And so your question about how do I overcome or, or how do I set it up so that I can manage this in a work situation? Mm-hmm. I think it's, I put it back on myself mm-hmm. and how do I deal with it? generally yeah. uh, and not in a, a work related situation and i know the podcast is kind of focuses focused on, on work in yeah. some in some ways but i think sorting my own shit out yeah. on my own or with help uh, will make it better in the workplace mm-hmm. i mean i think from a you know how can the workplace help if you're at a company that has health insurance or mm-hmm. health benefits i know that i believe washington state is a has a parity component to it where okay. I don't know I think this was part of might have been part of either Obamacare mm-hmm. or the state yeah. mandated this but I think in the past the number of sessions you can have with your therapist right. was limited and I know definitely in Washington state like you can see them I don't know if it's as much as you want but yeah. it's easier to see a mental health professional yeah. which I think is very important yeah so access one, one other thought is like I do not want someone treating me with I don't know if it's called baby gloves kid gloves kid gloves yeah, yeah. kid gloves like I, I don't want people to feel sorry for yeah. me and that's partly why I don't in a work situation I don't talk yeah. about this shit because it sounds like an excuse mm. that's why I want to figure it out yeah. and you know do well treat you like any other member of the workforce yeah with kindness and with kindness and empathy. Definitely. If there was somebody out there who, you know, suspected that they were dealing with anxiety or depression or had been just diagnosed, what would you want them to know? What would you tell them? Don't, don't give up. And there is help mm-hmm. out there from therapy, prescriptions. And I think one of the key components is having, having friends that you can talk to about, yeah. about this um, I think w- one of the things I tend to do when I'm in the the dumps mm-hmm. is I isolate myself and like I'll stay in my room. I won't shower and I just kind of like shut off the rest of the world. And that's not good. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so really having a peer group that you, some friends that you yeah. can talk to, having the right friends to talk to yeah. as well as like people who don't try to solve your problem because everyone's problem is unique and yeah. You just want to have someone that you can bounce ideas yeah. around. And I mean, I think even in this conversation yeah. with you, James, yeah. like you're not the, I'm going to solve your problem no. thing, which is great. Yeah. Like, I think that just kind of hearing and So maybe even people listening to this uh, will get some ideas yeah. and you need to kind of figure it out on your own. Yeah. It's a many faced thing to figure out. You know, I know for me, it took time to find all the pieces of the jigsaw. And I I say I find all the pieces like I found them all. I don't think I have, (laughs) but I keep, you said, don't give up. And I would add to that, keep working at it. Keep finding the things that, that work for you and putting those in place. Yeah. I mean, it's not something that you just cure and you're yeah. good. You, it's lifelong. And I mean, if your goal is to ultimately enjoy your life, mm-hmm. you got to keep working on it. Yeah, that's great. I love that message. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate your time and coming to talk about, you know, this topic and uh, thank you. Thank you. It's fun. So that's Will's story. A man in his 40s managing anxiety while working as an independent video producer. Will had been unsure about coming on Silent Superheroes. He hadn't talked much about his experiences outside of therapy. But as more people tell their story, it gets easier. We start to humanize mental illness. We stop being a monolith of the depressed or the anxious. We just become people managing a condition. Sometimes we want to be free, but we're managing it.
If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you want to hear future Silent Superheroes episodes as they're released, please visit silentsuperheroes.com and sign up for our newsletter, or you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash silentsuperheroes. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.